I'm Viren Garrahi and you're listening to The Laughs of Your Life, the podcast where I talk to influential people about laughter. From their first memories of laughter, to feeling laughed at, to the movie that always makes them laugh. And my father got up, he said, if that's the type of stuff, he said, that you're looking at above Dublin, you think you're going to contaminate this parish with it, he said, you can be going out of here, he said, go back to Dublin, don't come back. (laughs) He said, take it out of here, he said, go back to Dublin, don't come back. (laughs) My dad, Eugene Garrahy, is my guest this week. He talks to me about growing up as one of 11 in Doolin County Clare, his charity work in Romania, and his love for people. I hope you enjoy. Eugene Garrahy, Dad, you're extremely welcome to the Laughs for Life podcast. Thank you very much, Darren Garrahy, daughter. <laughs> um, I said I'd meet you at 12 o'clock sharp on Dame Street, and I gave you till 12.01. And I texted you and said, all okay. And then you were typing. And I was like, here we go. He's backing out. And then I got a message and you said, you've been up in studio with Shane here since 11.45. And you said, I thought I taught you to never be late. Uh, Yeah, and I did. I remember vividly on a few occasions telling you a couple of things in life. Always be on time. And if you can at a meeting, stand up while everybody else is sitting down. So if you're early and you're standing up, you're about 75% of an advantage straight away. Don't forget it the next time and be on time. (laughs) Well, um, I'm delighted you agreed to do the podcast, Dad. Um, I'm not trying to blow smoke, but a lot of people have wanted to hear from you on this podcast. Yeah, you said that, but I have no idea why somebody would be looking to listen to me when there's so much excitement out there and broadcasters every day of the week. But anyway, I'm here, so I don't know what people will get from listening to my rubbish, but here we go. Well, I'll tell you why, because, as you know, I share a lot on social media and I give a lot of myself. Um, one day you might see me done up to the nines, the next you might see me in my pyjamas, no makeup on, and I talk about anything and everything. And in the past, I've shared bits of advice that you've given me and... I always get an overwhelming, overwhelmingly positive response. Um, the one that comes to mind straight away is the fact that you told me no one gives a fuck about me. Well, that was a bit harsh, but uh, <laughs> I was just basically putting things in context for you that, you know, if you start off with that notion in your mind that at the end of the day, apart from family and a few good friends, after that, people generally do their own thing in life and really don't care much about what you do. I think if you start on that basis, I think, you know, you can only go from there up. You said it to me in passing. Well, not really in passing. You were kind of teaching me a lesson about something probably about three years ago. And you probably didn't think that it had really registered with me until I wrote it in my Christmas card to you. (laughs) And I said, I I said, dear dad, happy Christmas. Hope you had a great year. And remember, no one gives a fuck about you. And, And you... Yeah, I mean, you know, when you get to my age, I'm 60 years of age. And I think if you don't mind, you know, whether this goes out or not, I'm going to put your life and my life in context. Because people are talk talk about, you know, the famine or going back over tough times in Ireland and all that. We all have suffered from that. But if you think about this, like people talk about the famine as if it's oh, 300 years ago or 400 years ago. But like... I have touched the hand of my dad. You've touched my hand, first of all. I've touched the hand of my dad. And in 1930, when he moved to Doolan, a man welcomed him there. And that man was born in in 1837. 
So that man, two years later, how I remember, how I kind of just recall this one, is when that man was two years old, the longest memory in his head was he was put into a chicken coop the night of the biggest wind that has ever blown through Ireland. Like all of the records, the night of the biggest wind, January uh, 1839. So that man that was in the chicken coop that night lived through the night of the biggest wind ever in Ireland. He lived through the famine. Uh, he lived through the uprising, the 1916 uprising, the civil war. And here you are, like, touch my hand. I touched my dad's hand and he touched that man's hand. So, like, it's only three or four generations. So, like, when you are talking or when we're, like, things are very, very close. Yeah. You know? Um, why am I talking about that? Because I was born in that area. Because my father, uh, his mom hey, died. Before you go on, should I ask you a question to tee this up? <laughs> right, Eugene. <clears throat> we kind of forgot where we were going there for a second. Eugene Garrity, your first memory of laughter. My first memory of laughter um, was... Um, when I was a young guy, I was coming from the garden with some vegetables because we moved house when I was a year old. And I was brought from the old house to the new house in a donkey cart inside in a galvanised bath. And lots of people that witnessed that that day told me when I was old enough to understand. And I often used that route afterwards for bringing vegetables from the old house to the new house. And I remember I was about six years of age, seven maybe. And I was coming up along the road with my bag of vegetables and I heard music coming from a house. And I went in and my sister was in there with her friend who was after coming back from, from England and she brought home the first record player I'd ever seen in my life. <laughs> and they were dancing on the floor. <laughs> and I would dance with them. We were all laughing. And everyone was laughing and laughing and laughing. That was uh, one of the longest memories in my head. And the song they were singing is a song I always remember, never forgot it. It was by Johnny Horton, Up North to Alaska. <laughs> Lovely. North to Alaska, go north to Russia's own. North to Alaska, go north to Russia's own. Big Sam left. So you were six or seven. Yeah. And for anyone who might know, uh, you're one of 11. I'm one of 11, yeah. And you were third youngest. Third youngest, yeah. I had two brothers younger than me. And the day I was born, my sister immigrated to the States. My father brought her to see her, brought her to see me and my mom in his hospital. And after they saw me, my father brought her to Shannon Airport, which was called Rhinana Airport at the time. And she immigrated on the 17th of July, 1959. And she's still in the States. Um, and that is, it was a kind of a blessing in a sense because um, it was only a two-bedroom cottage we were in at the time. And there was six or seven to a bed sometimes. And it was a kind of a relief when one of them immigrated <laughs> because, um, you know, six or seven to a bed, one bed. In fact, Darren, I'll tell you, I never really knew what it was like to sleep on my own in bed. Until I got married. Really fell off the chair. Oh, mom won't like that. Mom won't like that. Although she'd say that she'd say right back at you with your fucking snoring. Um, so, so one of eleven. Um, I, yeah. I often, I well, do you know what you said there when one would emigrate. Yeah. You know, it would be not a lot stayed away. Like for a, for a family You're of 11, our family. yeah, yeah for, for no. a, as in 
first of all, for the, the time, like a lot of people would have stayed away and not come back. But for a family of 11, how many actually stayed away? Just the one? Yeah, uh, just one stayed away. Yeah, everybody just came back. Like, and eight immigrators. Do you think that says something about your family? I don't know. My my mom and dad were really, really loving people. And um, my father was a great... Um, innovator and he was a great um, entrepreneur so he created a lot of opportunities for others you know and then part of that was my family and they would come back and he would help them to get set up in business so that probably helped what i always find so interesting about your family is and i'd say this goes for a lot of families say that would have been of that size is that the the kind of older children have very different memories of childhood than the younger ones because the way it was was the older kids would help to rear the younger ones yeah and so your sister Kathleen I remember her telling us stories about you know you, you if your mom was preoccupied with other kids and you might be crying out for a bit of milk or whatever and she'd yeah. she'd do it yeah because there were there were kind of two different nearly generations so there was um um, an older group and you know I was lucky I was the, the latter end of the clutch you know the three or four of us at the end and then at that stage my father started businesses so things weren't as tough but very very tough for the for them for the older ones very tough a lot of immigration I remember several kind of wake dances mm. people going away and it was just sadness all the time you know yeah um okay dad your first time you felt laughed at um, the first time I felt laughed at, um, which was quite unusual now, I have to say, because wherever it came from, I had, a, I had, without being obnoxious, but I had a kind of an air of confidence about me all the time. <laughs> and um, I don't know where, I have no idea where that came from, but it did come back to me slightly because my dad had an opportunity to go to the States. And he went to the States for a holiday for a week or something. And I was probably playing on the 14 or on the 16 football at the time, maybe on the 16 actually. And he came back from the States and um, he had a white pair of boots for me. I think they were American football boots. And everybody else in the parish, and this, the football club had black boots or whatever, and arrived with these white boots and I felt so proud. And I remember playing Le Hinch. I remember this vividly. We were playing Le Hinch. I don't know who we were playing. And I think it was from the 16 and I had a white pair of boots, so proud going out onto that pitch. And and proud to be wearing them, and I was playing the forwards. Probably scored a couple of points. Usually did had a few scores in the day anyway. <laughs> but little did I think that not alone did it highlight your skills, but it highlighted every one of your mistakes. <laughs> and it was a disaster. I only wore them the one day because after the match, everybody knew what I did wrong. <laughs> Because you were, you were standing out like a sore thumb. So that was the end of the white boot. So when you were felt laughed at, that was the end of it. <laughs> and what age, what age do you reckon you would have been then? I was probably 15 or 16. Yeah. And so what were you like as a teenager? Were you, I have a feeling, um, I have a feeling that you weren't bullied and maybe you might have been a little bit of a bully. No, I wasn't bullied, no. <laughs> You're correct. But I remember... I do remember I do remember one day um, because we had a simple system in school when I was going to the national school in Doolan if there was an issue that needed to be sorted out a serious issue what happened was after school there was a house across the road called Williams's house and there was a haggard in the back the, behind the house and there would be a ring made by the class around there and you went in and you had a fisty cuffs with whoever <laughs> and I remember being beaten in one of them I won't mention the name of the guy but I'll never forget him say it no I won't no <laughs> 
<laughs> and uh, that kind of, if there was any touch of bullying there, that started out there and then. <laughs> I'd say, I'd, no, I'd, bully's the wrong word. I'd say you were well able to stick up for yourself. I'd say having so many siblings, there's a kind of sense of security with that. But I would also say that you, because I know this is a personality trait you have now, and I imagine you had it then, you look out for the underdog. Oh, yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of compassion there. But I think that was inherent in every one of us. Like, we would be very compassionate people. And you'd always be watching out for the weaker, definitely. But um, you're talking about when we were growing up. I mean, we had the most wonderful life growing up. Like, it was all outside in the bogs and the sea and fishing and climbing in the woods. We were tearaways around the place. But I remember vividly, uh, three, we used to go hunting. down. There was a pat down right down to the bottom of the cliffs of Moher. Yeah. And I remember going hunting there with older people with guns and dogs and all that because foxes used to go down there eating crabs if they were hungry. And they couldn't come up. They had to come against the people so they would, their fate was guaranteed. But uh, then, of course, we were about maybe 13 or 14. We decided three of us to go down one day. I went down the cliff like it was just like so dangerous now when I look back on it but we used to we used to go everywhere but um, and then there was this black thing floating out in the sea and we thought it was like a dead whale or something so we got a rope on the shore and put a stone on it and threw it out and grabbed this thing and pulled it in and basically it was a big tractor tyre you know, yeah, it was yeah. just a big tractor like they were very scarce like because nothing was thrown away at that time yeah yeah so we decided we'd bring it home but we had to bring it up the cliff so three of us spent about five or six or seven hours helping each other, bringing this up the cliff. And eventually we got there, like we were absolutely flaked out, completely flaked out. All of the emotions were on display that day. Helping each other. Anger. Brought it up. Everything, Frustration. Brought it right up the top. And we brought it up the top and left it down on the field. And then there was a mad row. Who was going to bring it home to their house? We couldn't agree on it. <laughs> and after spending all day at it, Somebody came up with the idea, you know, maybe we'll just throw it out over the top again and watch it go down <laughs> to the bottom. So with three, I remember the three hands were on the tyre because we each of us wanted the claim of putting it out again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Three hands on the tyre, pushed out over the cliff and watched it down again. <laughs> but now I have to spend five or six hours bringing it up. Was it worth it? I, there, oh, it was worth it, yeah. I to, the experience and, you know, what we learned from that was a lot, I yeah, can tell you. Yeah, teamwork. It was marvellous. And who, do you know who those people would have been that you were with? I know them well. I mean, Thomas Doherty, a friend of mine, and Robert Shannon. Absolutely, they're still there, healthy and hearty. Thomas Doherty is a very important job. He has, yeah. I mean, he's the heads up the Coast Guard in Doolin, or at least he's senior in the Coast Guard now in Doolin, yeah. Do fantastic work. You still have a few points with them, you do? Yeah, now and again, when I'm, <laughs> when I'm allowed out. <laughs> Over to Christmas. Okay, Eugene Garrahy. The moment when, if you didn't laugh, you'd cry. Yeah, um, as you know, I travelled over and back to Romania for 20 years, um, basically closing down big handicapped institutions and helping to build group, group homes and rehouse those people with house mothers. So that was something we did for a long time with my pal, John Mulligan. How did that come about? Will you explain how that came about? Well, uh, my friend of mine, John Mulligan, uh, was travelling to Romania in 1991 and he asked me for some assistance so I gave him some assistance and then he came the next year and I said look rather than giving you assistance I'd like to go out with you so that that's how that came about so we got involved through focus on Romania um, closing down institutions in Constanza region of Romania but remember you asked me if I didn't laugh, laugh I'd cry we were tiling a floor late one night and it was so hot there 
and it was there was a lot of noise from kids and that but then they quietened down because they came at 11 or 12 o'clock at night time and the next thing I heard um, this noise coming up along the corridor and was kind of and it was a long corridor um, and it kept coming closer and closer and I, we were grouting a floor but I looked out around the frame I saw this absolutely beautiful child but his leg was completely dislocated and he was dragging it after him up along the hall and it was a long drag now and he comes up along the most beautiful guy but since he got adopted to Canada I believe he's doing very well but at that time he was an orphan inside an orphanage where there was 380 handicapped kids and he dragged himself up to a friend of mine Tommy Tutty his bag was there and he saw a bottle of water in it Appa in, 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 in Romania and he came up and he um, took a big mouthful of water over the bottle and then dragged himself all the way back to his room again. I said, if I didn't, you mm. know, that was just such a, an emotional time. Yeah, but worth it and uh, and memories you'll cherish. And I suppose... Th- there was another more lighthearted, if I didn't laugh, I'd cry. Mm. Um, I went down, I came down, for, went down to see my dad one time in Doolan and we had a few pints and I decided to drive the van. For him, he had a lovely van because it was a nice <laughs> level he could get in and out of when he was he was over 80 years of age at this stage. And I thought he had a bit too much drank. And I said, I'll drive for you. He said, work away there at the keys. Drove it home anyway and I tore the side off it going in the gate. Oh, God. Tore the side, the, the, the door off it. He told everybody in the parish about it. Absolutely <laughs> shame me. And I said, look, just fix it as fast as you can. How much will it cost? So he said, I'll get a price on it. He gave me a price of 500 euro cash and I gave it to him. Anyway, to bring it on faster, the day he, was, the day he died... There was um, his funeral and we were in the pub in Doolan and I went up to the guy, a very emotional day, he was buried that day, went up to the guy um, in Doolan, the guy that fixed the van for him, and I said, thank you so much, Donald, I said, you know, and you did it so cheap, you know, 500 euro. He said, what 500 euro? He said, I did that for 250 quid. <laughs> <laughs> Last lesson learned. <laughs> Okay, right. Dad, Eugene Garry, uh, your no laughing matter moment in life. Uh, it must be um, during the recession when we were starting up Dublin Bay Cruises. Uh, after all of that um, bang, crash, wham, uh, 2007, 8, 9, 10, whatever it was. But in um, 2013, we started off Dublin Bay Cruises. Um, and I think, you know, if we didn't have the experience in business, dealing with semi-state and local authority and all of the state agencies for many, many years in the previous business. And if we didn't have maritime experience, there's no way in the wide earthly world we would ever have possibly um, managed to get over all of the obstacles that were put in our way um, in starting up Dublin Bay Cruises. Just for anyone who might know, you were in construction for pretty much all of your life, as in 26 years. Yeah. Um, and you packed it in. Yeah. So during the recession, um, we closed down the construction business. Luckily, we had uh, a business to go to in um, Doolan to Iron Ferries and Cliffs and Cruises, where the Gary family run that in Doolan County Clare. Um, so then we decided that, you know, there seemed to be an opportunity in Dublin. There wasn't any cruises or ferries in Dublin. So we proceeded to, um, to, to 
start that business. Yeah. But little did we think the amount of obstacles we were going to come up against. Because if you think about Dublin Bay, it's surrounded by three county councils, Fingal, Dublin City, Dunleary, Rat Down. It has three harbour boards, um, Fishing Harbour, Hoth, Dublin, Sit- Dublin Port and Dunleary Port. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has three departments running that, um, three different government departments. It had the Dublin Docklands Development Authority at the time, Eastlink Bridge Operators. So many obstacles. There was one coming down the track against us day after day. And I remember the day we started. Well, there were so many events around it, but we were due to start on Easter Sunday. And I even had the U3 and Claire out around Dunleary Harbour enticing, trying to entice children in on Easter Sunday, Sunday with Easter bunnies. We'd, we'd baskets and, of Easter eggs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All that. and we couldn't get one passenger. And then it was so windy, we had bunting up in the boat. We couldn't sail, but how windy it was, was it blew all the bunting off the boat into, this, into the harbour. So we decided not to go, so we tied up in the other um, wall, and I happened to meet um, a man, a very experienced seaman, on the wall when we tied up that day, and we were just walking away from it. And when I say we were at a low ebb at that point in time, it was quite low. And I met this experienced man, and he turned around to me and he said, you know, Eugene, he said, you're the fourth person that has tried that business, he said, and the three before you failed. So Thanks for the positive <laughs> sound. You're exactly I who I wanted to see. <laughs> so um, it was a no laughing matter moment, that one. Um, but thankfully, six years later, it's growing year on year. And Dublin Bay Cruises is one of the successful tourism products now in Dublin. Uh, I remember that summer, it was we were we were absolutely blessed in terms of weather because yes that Easter Sunday was desperate yeah but it was the hottest summer it was the 2013 summer the summer of the absolute epic heat wave it was and another stroke of luck um, Marty Morrissey was covering for somebody on one of the Saturday, I think it was Damien O'Reilly he was covering from an RT on a Saturday morning programme and he decided to investigate what Dublin Bay Cruises this new product and the day he went on who was on the boat the same day God rest him, Gay Byrne, and his daughter and grandchildren. And that interview opened up a complete new channel of business for us. It was just one stroke of luck. But I think, you know, people say you make your own luck. I think you have to be lucky. You have to be lucky. But um, on the no laughing matter moment, there's one very funny thing I must tell you about. And that is a person on an island off the west coast of Ireland opened up a bed and breakfast. And a tourist stayed with this person one night and that person the next morning after breakfast walked into a bar on the island and there was a gentleman sitting at the bar and the barman asked the man was he staying oh, I said he had stayed last night yeah and what was the accommodation like the accommodation was okay but the breakfast was very bad so the man that was sitting at the bar anyway overheard this, who happened to be the husband of the wife that ran the bed and breakfast. And the barman said, oh, and where did you stay? So your man told him where he stayed anyway. I think it was about 10 minutes way later, uh, your man woke up. Uh, after, he was lying on the floor. He was, after getting, um, he was after getting some engagement from the complaints department. The complaints department was actually sitting at the bar that day. <laughs> 
And your man woke up, he said, what happened? Who he said, the complaints department was open there. He said, for five minutes, but it's closed again. <laughs> oh, I love it. Okay, we will move along. Eugene Garrity. Uh The person you always laugh with. Yeah. I think with family, first of all. I, 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 I just, and I'm my own family, yourself and the girls and, and Claire, but there's something in our my family, this, my siblings. Mm. It doesn't matter how serious the situation has been down through the years, but somebody will always come over to the gym <laughs> and there's a big burst of laughter. So family, I think family has been... I don't know what it is. Does it come from? I think come from both sides, from my mum's side and from my dad's side. But it was always there was always laughter, always. No matter how dire. I mean, we used to make massive comedy out of funerals, <laughs> and who turned up and who didn't turn up and why they turned what up. They and what they were wearing. If they had a watery handshake. <laughs> oh jeez, <laughs> I remember we had a lot of we had a lot of funerals in our family. Like between my sister, my mum, they died within two months of each other. Then there was a lot of uncles and aunts and. Um, I remember my 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 arm, my my wrist, my hand was black and blue from funerals for a while. Yeah. You know, because you get very big, burly farmers coming in and they yeah. just crunch Squeeze your fingers. Your fin- yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, we used to have like the siblings. I think in my own family, like we used to have absolute whatever the situation they used to be laughter. And, um, I, I've made an observation about you and your siblings, and it's, it might seem like a weird one. I don't, but I want to know: is it a West of Ireland thing, or is it just your family? That even when you're talking amongst yourselves, you say "my father, my mother," rather than say if myself, even and Alvor together, we'd say "mom" or "dad." But you always say "my my father, my mother." Well, I've never been asked uh, about that before, but I think there's something embarrassing about feeling too close to anybody announcing kind of love or affection yeah um where like i'm not saying it's not there it's really there and it's very deep yeah but like displaying it publicly is a kind of um is something is a no-go you just don't do that and publicly is so, in amongst even your siblings yeah 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 like you you I don't know, but you just don't, you don't just show that affection or softness or weakness or whatever it is. Vulnerability. Yeah. I mean, when we used to be playing football, my dad used to go to the football matches. There's no way you get a good comment out of him after a match. Even if you score 10 goals and 10, 20 points. Like, you you know, or geez, you shouldn't have let your man pass you or this or that, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah, so yeah. I think it probably comes from there, maybe. I'm not sure. Yeah, not yeah. Sure. That's interesting, though. You're going to talk about them anyway. You laugh with them all the time. Yeah. And, um, I mean... There, there, we have a few, we have some friends and like, we just have great laugh. Um, I remember meeting Ian on our, when we were on our honeymoon, when Claire and I were on our honeymoon. Ian Dempsey. Yeah. And like, there was no mobile phones that time or anything. Like, just all you had is a pen and paper and an address. Maybe you'd contact office numbers or whatever, home numbers. But we hadn't had any um, contact with him. And we were driving, we were stopped at the Nace Road one day. This is probably six months later. after meeting him six months previous. And we started to drive up the road. The next thing I saw in my wing mirror, this guy running up the road, the nice road, in a white linen suit, or beige linen suit, shouting and roaring like this. I said, who's that fucking madman? I looked back, <laughs> it was Ian Dipsy. And I can tell you something. <laughs> that was the start of one of the greatest friendships of all time. Yeah. And talking about laugh, I remember we left his house one night and he gave me a copy of 
a CD to play in the car or tape maybe at the time and it was Billy Connolly and I remember coming down by Cabra Garda station I had to get out of the car and I actually laid down the footpath <laughs> I actually <laughs> I, don't, I can't remember which version of Billy Connolly but it was just <laughs> talking about laughter I mean if a friend can make you laugh he can but we're moving on what, uh, what Again, is it we're not supposed to be too affectionate about each other yes we can <laughs> <laughs> what is it dad about when you when laughter takes over you if you if someone if you hear a joke and if it just gets at your absolute pit of your funny bone you can't actually breathe no I can't no, I mean, there, there is a tipping point which I don't like to go over because my heart obviously you can't get any stronger so I'd probably die laughing <laughs> <laughs> but your mom mom always says if she goes to any kind of comedy gig with you like she's praying that you get an aisle seat because you'll, you'll have to oh, go out yeah. in the steps and I, lie down yeah. but there is a tipping point there's some things I think it's if I hear or see something being done that reminds me of the actual thing being done years ago yeah like I'm witnessing something making somebody making something funny joke about something that was real in my life at some time and, and, and that's why Pat Short I think hits you so oh, hard because it's, it's the the power of observation yeah. the the stuff that's probably fairly mundane for a lot of but the way he hones in on it like for example the, the sketch about the wedding being sick from the prom oh, cocktail yeah. yeah it was just un, <laughs> unbelievable I mean they were they were amazing you know and I think like Sir Billy Connolly was before them um, Pat Short I mean related to country people in particular and then uh, Tommy Tiernan, I was just one of those exceptional people that come along. Yeah. Uh, but they, they were great laughs. Eugene Garhi, a time where you had the last laugh. I think this kind of, this question, the last laugh question kind of doesn't sit well with me. Because I'd be kind of a forgiving type of person. I don't hold grudges. Mm. I tend to wash any kind of negative thoughts out of my mind all the time. I tend to think positively all the time. Not tend to, it just happens naturally. Mm. But if something does creep in, like somebody maybe tries to do something stupid or, you know, but it generally doesn't happen to me. Or if it does, I don't notice it. You know, or, or, or I just... Um, but I remember um, being out in the sports day on Inish Air uh, many, many moons ago, probably at this stage, 43 or four years ago, five years ago. And I remember winning the high jump and the long jump. <laughs> and again, my father was there that day. And ended up in the pub. And my two trophies were stolen. Stop. Yeah. Now, they were returned, I think, maybe the following year. Or maybe somebody felt bad about it and went out and bought them. Because my father, uh, Jack Gary, he was a very good friend of lots and lots of people. And I suppose they got wind of it and thought it was very unfair. But they were returned in some shape or form the following year so and I wasn't in the sports the following year but they were returned the following year but if you're talking about the last laugh um, when Avian was the same age 14 or 15 or 13 um, we brought her out to the sports brought you to her yeah we used to go to the Iron Island and lo and behold <laughs> didn't she win the high jump and the long jump <laughs> she did she did <laughs> I think that's the last laugh. <laughs> oh my god. She did, I remember it vividly. So I had a pint of a celebration myself that my own that night. <laughs> I love it. All right. Next item on the agenda, Eugene. If laughter wasn't the best medicine, 
what would be? Oh, uh, it would be just people. People. Drink. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know. No, yeah. No, no. Oh yeah, maybe true. Maybe maybe socializing. Yeah. <laughs> socializing. Yeah. Absolutely. But whether socializing or not, uh, in a pub or outside a pub, I think people, people and conversation. I absolutely, you know, just love that. Love talking to people. Love asking them questions about where they're from. Even people I've never met before. Where they're from, what they do, all that kind of stuff. I just, I, I really, I, um, I think it's great for me. Not for everybody, but for me. I just really, really like meeting people. If I were to make an observation about you, I would say uh, a best medicine for you is often a new project. You love a new project to get your teeth into. You like to feel like you've kind of mastered a project and then you hop onto something new. Whether it's the New York Marathon or it's uh, rowing across the Irish Sea in a crook or whatever it might be. I think that's, would that be fair to say? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think when you, when you mention it and I think it would be fair to say that we've mentioned this before sometime in the past projects was was always something because if you're involved in construction um you know you 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 there's a, a beginning a middle and an end mm. you sign off on it and there's a sense of great there's a great sense of achievement now i suppose everybody are on projects all the time but there's demarcation lines when you're actually physically managing projects a beginning a middle and an end so you are right I, I and i do miss that in my life at the moment now i did have one two years ago in building a new ship in france which i managed and um, there's some of that going on again at the moment but yeah projects i would yeah but people as well i do i think that's a great medicine for me meeting people and talking to people okay eugene are you ready for your yeah. quick fire round i am eugene garhi the movie you always laugh at the, sorry, the movie I always laugh at. <laughs> You're right there, Chris. I am, yeah, but something's got to give. <laughs> Jack Nicholson, something's oh, got to give. Oh, God. Is, uh, well, Jack Nicholson is the actor. I know you're going to ask, and it's in that movie. But um, the movie that got me into the greatest trouble. Why? And it started me laughing for the rest of my life. <laughs> was um, was uh, Animal House. What's that? Oh, uh, you know what? Yeah. Um, it was National Lampoon's Animal House, and it goes right back to nineteen nineteen um, um, eighty. Who is it? No, sorry, nineteen seventy-eight. And it was called, it was a series of National Lampoons, and this is called Animal House, about these guys uh, in college, um, just starting college and wrecked the place. And what do you mean it got you into trouble? Because. Video recorders come come out in 78, 77, 78. And I brought one from Dublin down to the house in Clare. And my father was there and there was a few people in the room. And I didn't know what film I was putting into the video recorder. So we were all inside in a room. There was only one door out of this room. We were all enclosed and we were watching this, this invention I had brought from Dublin, a video recorder. And we were watching this cassette, um, <laughs> Animal House. And... There was a bit, a small bit of nudity in it. Oh, it was like touching on, just a little bit of nudity. Like oh. it wouldn't be considered today now. <laughs> but anyway, this guy got a ladder and he went up the ladder and he was looking in the window of this girl taking off her clothes and the ladder fell back. <laughs> <laughs> and we were all absolutely burst outside <laughs> laughing. And my father got up, he said, if that's the type of stuff, he said, that you're looking at above in Dublin and you think you're going to contaminate this parish with it, he said, you can be going out of here, he said, go back to Dublin, don't come back. <laughs> contaminate 
He said, take it out of here. He said, go back to Dublin and don't come back. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, I'd be watching if I looking up that. Oh, my <laughs> animal house. Oh, Lord. It was just oh. something. We got me into big trouble. I love it. Okay, so your actor, you've said Jack Nicholson. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, the comedian you always laugh at. Oh, I mean, the comedian I always laugh at was... Um, Look at uh, there's there's a good few of them out there now, but I mean the one that gave me the the, the two that gave me the greatest laughs was was unbelievable as I have to say and Tommy Tiernan you know uh, you know that's that's about it like who there's there's a good few of them out there at the moment but that for my age group that they they were kind of and Billy Connolly yeah and Billy Connolly oh yeah 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 uh, you're you're a reader dad but I had I, I am but you know I heard an interview by by RTE with Billy Connolly about a month or two months ago he's living in in uh, in in the States and he was asked a question about happiness now that he suffers from um, I don't know some some disease but um, and he said leave out the word happiness he said he said if you can reach a level of contentment in your life he said you're on the pig's back and we would always say that mm. forget about the happiness highs and lows and whatever if any if everybody could reach if they're lucky to reach a reasonable level of contentment, I really think you're on the pig's back. But that, that's that's comedians for you, yeah. You are a reader. I don't know if you necessarily read funny books, but is there any book you've read that you've laughed out loud at? No, there isn't. All you know, of my books you know are serious books. <laughs> Very intelligent. No, not, not necessarily, but they're like, <laughs> I, I, I don't, I'm not big into novels. But factual stuff I would read. Do you know who I have witnessed you laughing out loud at reading? Maeve Binchy. Oh, no, Maeve Binchy. I didn't read a lot of her books now, but, but she even her But co- even her, her columns. Oh, yeah, I used to read her columns. I also used to read all of John B. Keane's columns. Yeah, you laughed at oh, him. Oh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. And, I, I mean, I did read the play, The Field, before it ever came out. And I have to say, like, those two people certainly will go down in history forevermore as capturing, being able to, the ability to capture the moment and to reflect society at that particular time. I just think they were just exceptionally good people. You played a clip for me before about, and I'd never heard it until you introduced me to it, of John B. Keane and the wife talking about him giving up the drink. <laughs> and I think we should drop it into the podcast because it's so good. I think you should. because Give it, it a bit a of context class, there. Yeah. Oh yeah, he was. He he decided, like he was a man that ran a pub in Listowel, obviously, and one of the greatest writers and playwrights. But um, I always enjoyed a pint. I'd say a drop of whiskey as a chaser, so and enjoyed it to the fullest. And I don't think he, he was, you know, a man after your own heart. But uh, <laughs> but he explained, uh, and his wife. I remember his wife was standing behind him. It was a video, but it's audio. It worked just as good. And he was explaining about have given up the drink, but he was about to, he had gone on it again because the wife advised him. He was slamming doors and things. <laughs> but classy, you know, absolute classy. I, I, it isn't just that I love liquor for the taste of it. I love the plop of whiskey into a glass. I love it. I love to see the cream on a pint. I love the first powerful, violent impact of a glass of whiskey when I throw it back in me and when it hits the mark below. I have a woman who has never too helped me of a drink. Well, a few times <clears throat> John said, I'm going to give up drink. And we said, all right. And after three days, we said, for God's sake, go away and take a drink. <laughs> he was walking up and down, banging doors up and down the street, bars of chocolate. 
Well, so we said, you drink it. There it is now. Take it and drink it. That's the way we feel about him. We think he, he has to have a drink. He needs it and it keeps him happy and relaxed. And um, <clears throat> we like him to take a drink. And finally, Dad, Eugene Garrahy, your best or your worst joke? Yeah. I used to tell a lot, of, listen to and tell a lot of jokes one time. So, I don't know. There was a simple one. I think they're better off kept simple anyway. But two guys going for a job in the construction site and they had a little test. The first guy goes up, he says, uh, I have a test for you. He said, there's a pen and paper. I have five minutes to do it. He said, give me a sentence with donkey jacket. So your man goes down with his pen and paper and he's looking out the window and he can't think of anything. But he runs up anywhere and he has it written down. And it read, the last company I worked for supplied me with a donkey jacket and it was very comfortable. He said, that's excellent. He said, geez, he said, that's quite, quite articulate. He said, lots of vocabulary in there. Send up your friends. So a friend asked him, he said, um, what do you ask you? Just simply, he said, yeah, just donkey jacket. That's grand. He goes up and he said, I believe you have a question for me. He said, I have, he said. He said, give me a sentence. He said, with fascinate. With what? Yeah, I thought it was donkey. No, fascinate, he said. So he went to pen and paper with his head down. He went down, he was looking out the window and scratching his head. He couldn't think of anything. But he ran up, five minutes just up. He said, I have it, he said, but I haven't written down. It doesn't matter, he said, if you have it, he said, and explain it, you can talk it, that'll do grand for me, he said. He said, um, uh, the last company, he said, I worked for, um, supplied me um, with a donkey jacket. Very good, to your man. He said, um, it had nine buttons, but I could only fasten eight. <laughs> Simple but true. Eugene Garry, <laughs> thank you so much for sharing with me the laughs of your life. You're very welcome, Darren. Best to look at it. <laughs> thank you for listening to the laughs of your life. I hope you enjoyed it. If there's anyone you'd like to hear from, get in touch. Tweet me at Darren Garry. Don't forget to like, subscribe, rate, review, and all those other things. This podcast is recorded in collaborative studios. Mm-hmm.